0: Hello and welcome to episode 193 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and joining me from historic Oak Park, Illinois, it's the godfather, the barbecue daddy, old graybeard, Mr. Creative,
1: the one and only Dave Harbarger. That's Mr. Creative Director to you. You're right. Today's the day where we get to find out if I'm merely a creative director or if I can possibly be a creativity director. We'll see. I don't know, though. Results inconclusive so far. But we have someone very special here to help me with that. Someone very special indeed.
0: No, it is not Shane. Shane is still on the the southern tip of the shoe-shaped country of Italy. I think he's in the heel right now. But we don't need him because we've got returning friend of the show... Zach Ryle, Mana Symbol, where are you? I, I just see a hazy fog, I, 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 I see
2: a, <laughs> a parrot on your shoulder. Yeah, I'm in the beautiful port of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, so far from my home in sunny, beautiful Canada where it's always spring break. Uh, I'm currently full of uh, shrimp po'boy and uh, a delicious rum cocktail and uh, I am ready to uh, talk about creativity, being creative and diving down.
0: Now, I also see you're holding a four foot tall plastic
2: cup with a uh, a pink liquid and a green straw. Yes, it's something like a yard or a double yard. I, I don't know what kind of wacky measurement this is. It might be weighed in stones, um, or or it, the con- the contents might be in gills. Um, which I thought was something that a fish had, but now I'm just a little bit confused about your American uh, measurements. I went to the Starbucks here. Their iced venti cup is 26 ounces. Venti means 20, but apparently it means 26. Uh, the trenta cup is like 32 ounces. That I thought that meant 30. We got to get Gucci on this because uh, your standards—I don't know—it's just all over the place.
1: I didn't even know that those words meant literally anything. <laughs> 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 Funny. But you are currently, and we were talking about this a minute before uh, off mic, you are actually calling us from a boat right now.
2: Yeah, I, I'm literally on the cruise ship right now. Um, I'm watching guests walk by uh, the piano bar where I have ensconced myself. It's one of the quietest uh, places on the ship, except between the hours of 9 p.m. and 1 a.m., where it's a raucous party.
1: Amazing. Nice.
2: Yeah, with uh, R-rated language and, uh, and your favorite pop songs sung on piano by uh, one of our wonderful piano bar entertainers.
1: Oh, that sounds a lot like our podcast.
2: Oh, yeah. R-rated yeah, language absolutely. and a lot
1: of pop songs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, good, good pop references and the best band names that you've never used. Um, the current band I'm working with is called From Outer Space. Um, which I believe you'll appreciate the story of while we were in rehearsal, sometimes uh, certain members of the band have to disappear for a while and to do other little tasks around the studio. So we were rehearsing without a vocalist and we were playing, um, what's that? I Will Survive. Um, And we just, I just started singing the lyrics from outer space over and over again. (laughs) And uh, that became the band name. Perfect. Love it. Love it. And you've been on this boat
0: for a little over seven months. Now, is boat offensive? Do I have to call it a ship?
2: So, some people who work on ships are very adamant that they are ships and not boats. Uh, for me, being more of a, a seaman myself, uh, I, I like the common parlance. So, I'll, I'll call it a boat. I'll call it a tub. I'll call it a tanker. I'll call it anything, you know. Uh, sometimes a, a cage. Vessel. Yeah, vessel to tube a floating tube. So, you know, whatever whatever strikes my fancy, I like to be poetic about it rather than technically correct.
0: And, and now as winter approaches ever so rapidly, are you returning to Canada anytime soon?
2: Yeah. So my contract ends on October the 22nd. And very crazily and luckily for me, uh, I'm going to hit the ground running, go home for three days, and then hop on a plane to Vegas... Uh, where I will, for the first time ever in person, meet uh, my Serum Visions co-host, Jiggy Wiggy, Arun Singh, in person. Um, Wow. Nice. And uh, we're going to go to the Bacchanal. That'll be uh, on the actual evening of my birthday. And then the next day, I'm going to get to compete in one of the modern uh, beta draft qualifying events uh, at the Magic 30 uh, anniversary event so i'm really excited about all of that and uh if there is anyone who is a fan of me or even people who aren't fans of me uh who wants to shout at me in person rather than just on twitch you'll be able to do that amazing. that's amazing yeah yeah and you know you've
0: been on a boat for a while i, I i've seen you make occasional appearances on other pods and and remained active on twitter of course i feel like this is a good opportunity to maybe like catch you up with a little bit of what's been going on in modern since since you've left um seven ish months ago, a lot has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh everyone's playing four or five color decks now. Like it's yep. a very soupy format. Um in in your pet deck, creativity. And, comma, indomitable, is arguably, tier one, one of the best strategies in the format. You did it. You you saw this coming. You were ahead of the curve. And that's why we're having you on, to help us wrap our head around this deck dive that has always puzzled Dave and has always sort of (laughs) eluded me for some reason. I've never tried it in modern until now.
2: Well, uh, I've had to catch myself up on the most recent iterations of it and all the modern technology and how the format has progressed. And one of the best ways to do that is by listening to the Dive Down podcast every single week. um, Oh shucks. As well as, of course, the wonderful pair at Dominaria's Judgment. Love those two. Uh, Dom Harvey is a a personal acquaintance of mine, if not a friend. Um, And uh, also, I love all the work we get to do on Faithless Brewing, which has sort of uh, partnered up with Serum Visions to bring you the most competitive and the most speculative Uh, brews in the modern and pioneer format for the last couple months. So uh, luckily I've kept myself in touch and then I've been doing a bit of cramming playing a lot of matches with different versions of creativity. So we can talk about the differences that currently exist and uh, maybe some of the pluses and minuses of those
1: decks in the current modern format. But before we do that, it's everybody's favorite time, Stan. It's time for housekeeping.
0: Shout out to the newest patrons to join the dive down nation we have Ashton K. and Walter A. Thank you, thank you both for joining our little community, our kind slice of the internet. Also, some new reviews came in since the last episode. Thank you to Mark B., Mike A., and Andrew C. for leaving some kind words on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support our show, you can do so directly over at Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Down. You can also support us while playing Magic with the ManaTrader subscription to rent Magic Online cards. If you use promo code divedown 15 you'll get 10% off your first two months of a ManaTrader subscription. And if you don't play Magic Online, you can also get a discount on some paper cards from our friends over at Nerd Rage Gaming. If you use promo code Dive8, you'll get 8% off your order at NRG. We don't even get a cut of that. This is just our friendship with NRG extended to you, our friends, the listener. Enjoy it. Now, without further
1: ado, let's talk about a very creative deck. Today's the story of a, of a deck that has floated around for just a long time at this point. I spent a little bit of time researching last night, kind of the first mentions I saw of this, specifically the first one that I could find from Zach, actually. But um, let's talk about the namesake card for one second, because that's really what this deck revolves around. And how do we say this first word? Indomitable? Indomitable? Indomitable. Indomitable. Correct. indomitable indomitable
2: that's that's how i would say it uh indomitable sounds ridiculous to me but if you're british maybe that's correct i don't know
1: yeah i mean but they say aluminium too so it's uh yeah no. yeah yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> so indomitable creativity xrrr sorcery it is a mythic from aether revolt little set that- i think it's the original kaladesh but Oh, no, it know, is it's I, yeah, it's Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, You're weird right. set that not a lot of people paid a ton of attention to at different points in time, although it does have walking ballista in it as well. Destroy X target artifacts and or creatures, not just yours. For each permanent destroyed this way, its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until an artifact or creature card is revealed and exiles that card. Those players put the exiles car, exiled cards onto the battlefield and then shuffle. All right. So, Zach, Stan. Dave. Mostly Zach. Oh. When, when did you first see this card and think you could do something with it? Do you remember?
2: So I am not the original progenitor of a quality indomitable creativity deck in uh, modern. I do remember uh, Zanman, Lawson Zandy, uh, oh, yeah. who was streaming for a while. Um, when Eldraine came out, he tried a couple of different Dwarven Mine, um, Polymorph, Transmogrify Indomitable Creativity decks. Um, it seemed like a natural fit with Indomitable Creativity costing red, 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 and Dwarven Mine requiring three mountains. Uh, they kind of felt like a match made in heaven. I saw him do this a couple times, uh, at the time he was flipping into Emrakul. So that's the first time it was ever something that I saw anyone doing. Uh, and at the time it was not something I was at all interested in.
1: Shout out to Lawson, by the way, Lawson, one of the first listeners of the dive down who reached out to us, one of the first members of our Slack back in the day, good guy, Lawson. If you're out there, shoot us an out.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, he's. I I think he was going to university, and suddenly he started appearing less and less online, as happens with people with uh, large, big life changes. And uh, I would guess that someday he'll return to the game, and we'll be happy to see him at that point, because he's just a phenomenal player, innovator, uh, great energy, uh, just fun guy to watch be ridiculous. So, uh, good friend. Hope you're doing well.
1: So, <clears throat> but the power behind this deck, I think it's interesting when you think about the decks that creativity has sort of led to. When I was looking at early lists and thinking about other decks that I've seen, you know, a lot of people t- have talked about the idea here being creativity is kind of a spell based combo deck that helps you kind of cheat a giant threat out a lot of times it's emerald that's changes over time but at its core you know the idea is something that i think is almost more akin to like in my mind i was looking at this i was like is this modern sneak and show is that what this really is like at the at the very beginning because the the shells look similar to me the spells kind of do similar things they have different constraints but it's sort of like how do we sneak in the biggest threat we can possible in modern
2: yeah um and the the one Huge thing that that really made it appealing to me was that it's kind of like a one-card combo, um, because Dwarven Mind getting to hide in your mana base where you can always fetch it out to get your target, um, that, that was a big deal to me, the way that the deck played out. Um, it was really, really useful for you. You only had to draw the card Indomitable Creativity and then you could combo off of having your fourth land, which consequently was how much mana you needed for a creativity X1.
1: It's almost like they were made for each other. And who knows, maybe they were. Maybe, maybe they were. Because it almost sounds
0: to me like it wasn't Indomitable Creativity in and of itself that made this deck possible, but it's really Eldraine and the printing of Dwarven Mind that kind of gave us this resource that let us combo with creativity without having to dedicate a specific spell slot
2: absolutely and uh even more to that the card that really launched this uh was the card bellomachus lorehold and uh, a brewer by the name of freak you nasty who i believe still streams from time to time uh not a super huge amount because he's a Mm -hmm. full-time uh he's Mm -hmm. got a full-time job but uh he does um He does still stream. So he put together the cards, Indomitable Creativity, Dwarven Mind, Velomachus Lower Hold, uh, Time Warp, and Savor the Moment. And that is probably, uh, Dave, if I had to guess, the the first time you've seen me associated with those cards.
1: Wow. There we go. And so we're going back to Strixhaven at that point. Yeah, it's interesting. So... When I was looking into the history of this deck a little bit, I didn't quite find the the Velomacus decks. Again, I definitely remember them now that you mention it. But one of the first things I found is an article that you wrote on Faithless Brewing in May of 2021 called Modern Cookery with Spaghetti Through the Breach with Indomitable Creativity. And so this is one of those lists that really made me think, you know… It's about having eight enablers for being able to cheat Emrakul out into play to be able to make the deck work. It's where a lot of these lists that you were developing at that point did. Do you remember a lot about this article or kind of like what, what was going on when you when you guys put this together?
2: Uh, it's so funny because I can't remember if that was before or after the one that I wrote about uh, Um I want to say oh, okay. it was bef- before, but uh, oh, okay, I- I'm not entirely sure, but... Uh, there was a point there where I was kind of interested in just like over the top ways to cheat in Emrakul and um, uh, kind of exploiting some redundancy there. But when I think of the Indomitable Creativity deck as it is now, that really um, not having something like Through the Breach is is kind of better because Through the Breach in- incentivizes you to play four uh, copies or somewhere around that of one of your big threats. And the nice thing about creativity me is that you've always been able to play less numbers uh, of clunky combo cards.
0: So Zach, that's a really interesting point because I almost feel like as we start talking about the individual cards in the deck and its plan and without really getting ahead of myself, like I almost feel like we keep seeing this tension with the deck's evolution of like how many of these big chonkers we want in the main, right? Like I, your point here is that creativity like incentivizes you almost to play fewer of them rather than something like through the breach. Whereas something like fable, the mirror breaker, which is becoming um, more and more common in creativity lists almost gives you a reason to play more of them because you now have this like really excellent card advantage engine that lets you pitch away extras that you can like sometimes recur with something like a persist or even just shuffle back into your library. If you are running Emeracle too.
2: Yeah. Um, I would say before Velomachus, just the idea of getting an Emrakul into play and whether you could attack with it immediately or not, that was a a known strategy that existed in Modern that never had a great uh, build. There was never a way to do that in a way that was particularly competitive with the rest of the format. And that's why I want to highlight Velomachus as being one of the the big early... uh, breakout things for this deck is because it could very easily be a one-shot kill uh, that could happen as early as turn three. Or that deck was the one, the version that I played a lot of, uh, that I got multiple challenge, top 32s, a uh, few top eights. uh, freaky Nasty on the very first weekend he ever took it out, he made a top eight. And I think that deck put creativity on the map in a big way. And then if we're going to jump to the middle history here, what is very, very important is when Modern Horizons 2 came out, I had an 8-0 run in a challenge playing Velomachus Creativity. That got a lot of people's attention, even though uh, I immediately lost in the top eight. And so that included- to the
1: dance counts just as much, Zach. It's not just- Yeah, I I agree. It,
2: It was a huge accomplishment for me, but the biggest part of it was the fact that now other people took it seriously. And when they did, we had people like Zan Syed coming along, uh, and a lot of other people, Mr. Rabe, who who's been a big part of developing different versions of this deck. So then they took it to this this middle period, which was the Sarah's emissary Emrakul version. So this was a version that was specifically trying to resolve enigme- or, uh, Indomitable Creativity X two and get exactly two permanents into play, which are uh, sarah's emissary and emrakul and the reason is because then uh it it protected your emrakul from a lot of the new cards that had been printed uh or some even some of the old cards that uh could possibly make emrakul less appealing um there was also unholy heat was just released and that made uh velomachus lore hold a lot less appealing uh all of a sudden your opponent could have a one-mana answer for it
1: yeah and there's some other cards that got picked up from modern horizons too of course sarah's emissary was there this is where you start to see people talk about Archon kind of cruelty more on that later hard evidence becomes a token generator of some choice in these builds kind of after modern horizons 2 fire and ice everybody's new favorite tempo card in the format somehow somehow fire and ice is in every deck these days and uh, even prismatic ending is as a Card that I saw showing up there just as a piece of interaction for the for the deck to have, and this was uh, also the era where you know when you get towards the end of 2021 is where you won a modern challenge on creativity, and we had you on the show to talk about the time, and also Steve Perlman came in second in Vegas with a creativity deck. As well, that was I think pretty close to the deck that you played in that in that challenge, if I if I remember right.
2: Very much so, and he's I, I got to talk to him a couple of times uh, on on Twitch, and uh, I think even at Vegas Eyelash TV, I believe, was the one who got some footage of that, and she even got an interview with him, and he said specifically my challenge finish was one of the things that inspired him to register that deck. Yeah, that 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 was the sort of height of the Emrakul, Sarah's Emissary version. And uh, it was just a sweet spot in the metagame where that was one of the uh, one of one of the top decks. Definitely Uh, like a a really good tier two, I would say it wasn't actually tier one, but it was like a tier two that could take a whole challenge down.
1: So early 2021 is when people really start to pick up the deck a lot more. It's when I bought the cards for the deck in February, started getting the pieces for it because I thought maybe it's a thing I don't want to be left out of. And then this is also the point where it felt like we're really starting to go from Uh, Sarah's Emissary and Emrakul to Archon of Cruelty being the target of choice for creativity. What what do you think about that? Why, kind of, and maybe why do you think that might have happened around this time?
2: It's mainly because of the popularity of the four-color control deck. So Emrakul, Sarah's Emissary could beat that deck, but you did have a tough choice to make. You had to name Creature or Planeswalker with Sarah's Emissary, and both those choices could be beaten, either by your opponent just playing um, Supreme Verdict or playing a Teferi to bounce your Emissary and then Solituding your Emrakul, or there was a number of ways that that deck could be well set up to beat your Creativity X2 plan. And with the creativity decks in all sorts of variations, I've talked about this a long time, and there's even um, variants that don't get played, like at all, um, where you can flip in like Leveller and Thassa's Oracle and instantly win the game on the spot. So what you're choosing with different creativity builds is what do you want to happen when you resolve creativity, and how big do you need that creativity to be? So Creativity for X2 was the Emrakul, Sarah's Emissary, Dex, Entire, th- they wanted to do exactly that. Um, you could creativity for more than two, but you would, that, that was just insurance against removal. You would always get exactly two things into play. Uh, whereas the Velomachus version only really ever wanted to creativity for one. Putting two Velomachuses into play, not a great idea. And the nice thing about Archon is that if you creativity for X equals 1 all the way up to X equals 4, all of those things are, it's like a sliding scale of payoff. And even if you get immediately Supreme Verdicted or what have you, you still got an Archon trigger. And those are huge, especially depending on the matchup. So um, you were mentioning before that you had the problem against Four Color where they could just solitude it. But it's like getting that Archon trigger should puts you in a pretty good position, unless you were, like, quite far behind. So, forcing your opponent to two-for-one themselves when you just, like, three-for-one them, uh, that usually puts you in the driver's seat. For a very complex number of reasons, um, Archon became more popular. Uh, One of the other things is, because Four-Color was so popular, Burn was popular, because Burn was one of the few decks that people figured out that, like, you could just outrace Four-Color a lot of the time. Well, Burn actually is able to beat Emrakul, Sarah's emissary, a lot of the time. Um, Archon helps against Burn because it's got
1: a light gain trigger. Totally makes sense. And then kind of the less the rest of this year, I think, has really been about two cards being added to the deck. One is Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and the other one is Leyline Binding. You know, we we did have an era earlier this year where teamer creativity was the really popular one It's certainly the one that i tried for a minute you lose your um you lose your teferis you lose your kind of any shot at prismatic ending or something like that your removal but you go like fully stack based essentially you try to play remand a couple lightning bolts and then kind of you're just a red and six deck from there basically but now mostly from Leyline minding we're back to five color kind of being where it's at uh, the deck adding a, a tool to it and now here we are where it's gaining popularity a, a lot it's one of the top three or four decks by meta share suddenly uh these days it's also really high as far as win rate goes depending on the day i mean it's, i th- believe at energy we saw that it was plus 60 or right at 60 percent win rate in the in energy minneapolis it won the event and um people are playing it a lot stan yeah. how many mirrors did you did you have on online when you were testing this deck do you have a lot of mirrors I had none. You had none, Zach. Have you seen Mirror Snail? Uh, I've or? played
2: uh, against this deck an absolute ton. Um, yeah. I even played against Doom Switch this weekend while he was double queuing the challenge. So I was just play testing, just to play test in the league, and uh, I, I could see that he was double queuing in the challenge and in the league, playing uh, creativity in both. And he put up a top thirty-two finish in one of the challenges. So a lot of really great players, especially of like mid-range control decks, are. Um, experimenting with this. Um, In the early days, um, Wafatapa was one of them, but recently, uh, I know the team reversions, one of its big wins was uh, Mr. Yellow Hat himself, Gabe Nassif, taking it. So... um, it's very popular right now. Um, one of the other decks I'm considering for Vegas because I'm crazy is uh, Colorless Prison because I feel like it'll be a lot more unexpected. But uh, running into creativity a few different times, I'm like, mm, maybe not. If creativity is going to be a popular deck, uh, these ley line bindings are problematic.
0: That's interesting. Th- this deck is actually one of those that evades me a lot online. I, I can probably count on one hand how many times I've matched a creativity opponent in leagues versus paper where when I was doing the RCQs over the summer during season one, like almost every single RCQ I got paired up against at least one creativity player.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, well, it's definitely hitting its stride. And uh, as it is hitting its stride, we we do have a few different flavors and there hasn't been any conclusive moment of some of these versions are the de facto stock version. So uh, when you do run into Indomitable Creativity, you might run into a full five-color version that is playing the good white cards, uh, which will almost definitely include four leyline line binding and may or may not include Teferi. Uh, it seems like the jury's still out. I'm seeing numbers as low as zero and as high as two or even three right now. Um, but I think Teferi's positioning overall... I guess, is not that good, even though it seems like um, some of the cascade decks are getting more popular. Okay, so we've got the, the, the full commitment to white. Um, then we have uh, the teamer version, which is basically just the only version that isn't, or I wouldn't say the only version, but the, that's that same deck uh, that is not playing white usually plays some copies of Explore, uh, and that helps you get a, a little bit more of a linear leg up. And then the least popular version, but it still has some validity and is still floating around, is this Grixis version, which doesn't play Renin Six, plays additional discard outlets in uh, Tainted Indulgence, and as well as playing some offensive discard in the in the form of Thoughtseize, and plays usually three or four copies of Persist. So it's half creativity, half uh, Reanimator, because you're playing four copies of Archon of Cruelty anyway, and they get dis- discarded a lot to Fable the Mirror Breaker, or in this case, Tainted Indulgence, or Prismari Command, then you might as well register some copies of Persist to cheat it in early from time to time.
1: One thing that's super interesting for me over the last couple of days is or week or so is seeing these five-color versions that are splashing Persist as a one-of or a two-of as they try to up the number of... Create, let's call them creativity effects, I guess polymorph effects, basically. They're kind of like, okay, Persist in some number is okay, Transmogrify in some number is good, you're always going to have your four creativity, but it looks like moving up to five or six of these effects, even a five color deck seems to be coming a little bit more of a standard across across these two
2: yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll touch on those individual numbers in a second here. But yeah, the, the de facto version right now is, it's all about Archon, um, and then occasionally you'll see a, a sideboard secondary threat. I'm not 100, 100% up to date on exactly the plan with these that people are uh, trying, to, trying to move forward with, uh, other than Emrakul will help you against Mill. Um, but sometimes you see a one of Sarah's Emissary on the sideboard, sometimes you see a one of Iona, I'm not 100% sure if people's idea is they're going to cut all their Archons and put that one of into the deck or if they're putting it in in addition to Archons as a uh, redundancy in threat because from time to time you'll run into a deck like Four Color Control that just has so many pieces of removal that you actually might need more than just the four Archons.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit more about how the deck works. Danny, you have any other questions before we hop into that? No, I
0: don't. Um, but I think it's a good idea to really highlight the mission and and kind of lay it out plainly because all of these iterations all have the same focus and they're essentially tempo control decks that are looking for a way to cheat in one or more Archon of Cruelty or other big ending game ending creatures sometimes as early as game three if they're playing something like Explorer Growth Spiral but in general it's usually on turns four or later
2: Yep, yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. And uh, Fable just sets you up so well for these. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But uh, the card in Domino Creativity is so different from your regular polymorph effect because it's an X spell. And dodging creature removal, single target creature removal is a huge deal in Modern. I can't remember the last time that there haven't been a lot of decks that pack a lot of creature removal and cards like Ragavan... Uh, have made that like the absolute mood of the day. Mo- most decks are playing cards that they intend to use to kill Esper Sentinels and Ragavans, and those will kill Dwarf Tokens and Crab Tokens. So having a polymorph effect that isn't fizzled by a single removal spell is very important. So
0: even though I, I categorize it as a tempo control deck, it does have this combo angle that's pretty critical to its, its win condition, You hear stories about Dwarf token beatdowns, but I feel like those are very, very rare. And in general, you need an Archon or one of your big finishers to actually close out a game. So let's talk about the combo package specifically. We've talked about Indomitable Creativity. Next to that, I think it's really important to call out, is Dwarven Mine, which is a land, a non-basic mountain from Eldraine, enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other mountains. And if it does enter the battlefield untapped, you create a dwarf token.
2: Yeah, uh, super interesting phrasing there, which means that if there's an Archon of Amiria in play or anything else that causes the Dwarven Mind to enter tapped, you will not get the dwarf no matter how many mountains you had in play. So uh, just watch out for that if you're playing this deck for the first time and you run into... Was it the Thalia Heretic Cathar or right. <laughs> Archon of Amiria or any other reason why your Dwarven mind will enter tapped?
1: Wow, great, great point. I hadn't thought about that in a while, but it's good to remember corner cases. Yeah, yeah.
2: very, very weird corner case. But uh, if you're playing paper, the game won't remember that for you. Yeah, watch out for that one. Uh, hard, hard evidence has been less popular recently. I'm a, I'm a little surprised by that, but I guess I shouldn't be because since everyone's packed up so much on removal, um, trying to use hard evidence to stop your opponent's Ragavan is a bit of a pipe dream right now, and it's really bad against Esper Sentinel. So hard mm-hmm. evidence might come back into vogue at some point, but right now it's actually, I, I don't see many copies of it floating around at all.
1: So we were talking about this on this hard evidence on the uh, on the dive down Discord today with some of the people who've been playing. Scott Polera from who is has been doing well in NRG and is around the Discord a lot, mentioned that one reason that people aren't playing hard evidence is as you mentioned, Zach, because of removal. But another thing that's possible is because um, you know. The clue token used to be a really resilient way to make sure that your token that you turned into a target couldn't be interacted with. But now that lots of people are playing Leyline Binding in addition to the occasional other kind of secondary artifact removal, that's not as much of a, uh, of of a possibility as it used to be. And it's, it's not that hard to interact with the clue token as it used to be before. So you have, in addition to maybe the card not being as useful, people wanting to kill Ragavan instead of just blocking it. You're also having this kind of like, well, the clue token doesn't do as much as it did before either. So,
2: yeah. Uh, 100% agreed. Um, Treasure tokens and clue tokens used to be really great because very few decks packed main deck removal for it that they could use at instant speed. That's a big thing. Having someone prismatic ending your treasure token feels great. Um, Having someone ley line binding your your treasure token when you had targeted it with creativity, not so great. So yeah, that that, that has definitely fundamentally changed uh, a few of the card choices here. And then of course, we've got the namesake creature that we want to cheat into play. We might as well uh, tell uh, the listeners the exact text if they don't remember. It's six black black for Archon of Cruelty, creature Archon with flying. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card and loses three life. You draw a card and gain three life. Uh, So it's a 6-6. Interesting points here is, like a titan, it's when it enters and attacks. And a secondary interesting point is that it does target. So I have had people uh, sideboard in things like Ley Line to, to block that. Yeah, line yeah. of Sanctity, thank you. Um, to to block that because uh they, they thought that would help. Uh, I did end up winning that game recently where they did that, because of course they were functioning down a card. But uh it it you can block it with that. You can block it with Veil of Summer. There are a few valid ways to block the Archon triggers.
1: I guess if someone does that to you, you still get to draw a card and gain three life, which is uh, nice. If, if the right? trigger
2: gets fizzled, no. You, you oh, the do whole, need so it's the whole a trigger target. Yeah, the whole trigger. So if you don't have a valid target, you get nothing. So Leyline blocks the entire Archon trigger. If your deck uh, wants to block Archon triggers... Try these options.
1: You still have to kill it because you're going to get attacked by a, a dragon, right, basically. Right, a six six, 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 six yeah. flying
2: archon. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you're not done, but uh, yeah. it's it is it is pretty big to block the trigger. What you've labeled here nicely is backup plans. So we've got transmogrify and persist, and these basically exist in different ways to give you a bit of redundancy on the card. Indomitable creativity. The highest number of transmogrify I've seen is two. It's pretty popular. I've seen one one splits, one Transmogrify, one Jace the Mind Sculptor. I know on MTG Grindcast, uh, there was a great player who I don't remember the name of, but he won one of the RCQs with creativity. He said he really didn't like Jace in the current metagame. So Transmogrify is fine. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it, but it makes sense. And I've won games with it, so I have more faith in it than uh, I otherwise would have. Uh, It has to target creatures only. It can only target one, so it's the most vulnerable version of an indomitable creativity. But it's fine. It's fine redundancy. Um, Persist, though, is something I'm actually really interested in testing in both the four or five color versions, depending on how you count the colors. Just as a one to two of in the main deck, but maybe even some more copies in the sideboard. It just allows you to go a little faster. It allows you to run a little bit lighter. And you are a Ren and Six deck, so sometimes people try to attack your graveyard with cards like Rest in Peace or Leyland of the Void. But relatively speaking... It, it feels like it's a great card to just have access to. So that's a very important question for me, is how many copies of Persist do I want to play in uh, an Indomitable Creativity list?
0: Yeah, I, I played one and I, I liked it quite a bit. Personally, I liked it more than Transmogrify for the reasons you, you explained, or at least the shortcomings you explained for Transmogrify. And I feel like what Persist did is that it almost created this new like sub-combo Within the game, and um, one of the new key enablers to this deck, which is Fable the Mirror Breaker, where it, it it essentially made every mode on Fable like actually really good. Where if you draw an Archon, you can pitch that to Fable in search of uh, indomitable creativity, or if you draw a Persist and you don't have any ways to pitch Archon, you can just just as easily pitch that Persist, and it's usually no harm done
2: and something i want to i i need to talk about here and i know it's a hot button uh, topic for today so that makes it great for the podcast let's talk about renin 6 uh, we don't talk about bruno but we do talk about renin 6 because since the days of velamacus uh, taking turns the original indomitable creativity deck to now uh, I believe this is one of the most important, most powerful cards in this deck. I don't think there's any question about its position in the modern format anymore. But this card allows you to frequently mulligan to 6, 5, or even 4, as long as you have a copy of Ren and 6 in your hand, with confidence. Uh, and I've won a crazy number of games just resolving Ren and 6 on the play, or even on the draw sometimes. Of course, there are linear decks against which it's not super useful, but yeah, Ren and 6. Huge, huge deal for these decks. The Grixis version, I think one of the things that's holding it back is it's decided not to play Ren and Six uh, and that just makes it a pretty medium uh, combo deck. And one of the things about it is that even if you resolve one Archon and then it gets removed, if you have a Ren and Six in play, that thing is going to carry you and you're just going to win the game on the back of the Ren and Six Ultimate. I, I cannot tell people enough you should be playing four copies of this card uh, in your creativity deck.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those things where... You can play this card for a while and sort of, I feel like still not realize how amazing just doing the plus one over and over again is. And then like a couple weeks ago, I woke up and I was like, Whoa, I really do win just by hitting my land drops every turn. And I I don't know if I've ever done the emblem in Ren and Six or been in a position where I could make it happen. You know what I mean? But it's always just about the fixing and occasionally pinging something that's in the way that really can make things happen. I mean, I, I played a match the other day against dredge actually where pinging away silver smoke ghouls actually turned out to be decisive as far as getting the most value out of my, tr- my, uh, my archon triggers as I could. So it's just like so much stuff here. So much at this card. Absolutely. I hope it doesn't get and, banned. Maybe it's going to get banned. Yeah, I don't know, but
2: I, I really hope not. But if it does, uh, I would understand it, and on the other, one of the easiest ways to to feel uh, how great Ren Six is for you is every now and then it'll get spell pierced or like spell snared on turn two, and you're like, oh, I don't have a plan anymore. <laughs> I I was I was gonna have a good game, but now I won't, and uh, it's entirely because my my two drop got countered, and that's that's uh, that shows you just how powerful it is. Uh, it does also team up wonderfully with, as you just mentioned, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. This is a card that I. I could not believe that this was going to be good enough in this deck, that this was going to be good enough in this format. Uh, When you read this card, it, it, it seems so underwhelming. Especially when you compare it to something like Season Pyromancer. But, of course, for uh, creativity reasons, this deck can't play Season Pyromancer, which would be a great card for it, but you can't play it. But Fable of the Mirror Breaker does work for you. Um, and every single, you're right, every single part of it is insane. Uh, Ren Six giving you extra lands in hand means that when you hit Chapter 2 and you can discard up to two cards, and then you draw that many, means that any extra lands in your hand, you can just throw them because you're going to pick them back up again. Exactly. Um, Same with Prismari Command,
1: which also has a similar loot mode. One of the most interesting things to me about about Fable is that when you talk about cards that are going to get countered, like I feel like I've seen so many players, you know, I watched a couple, I watched like Manguchi do a, a league with Creativity recently. I watched another streamer do it. And when you get to turn three and you don't know if your opponent has interaction to be able to counter your Teferi or kill your Teferi or do something like that, just saying, you know what, it's turn three. Let him counter Fable of the Mirror Breaker. I'm just going to play it. There's so much. I think there's even just value in being like, here's this card that's good, but I sort of don't care if you counter it because I have other good cards as well is really is a pretty interesting thing as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if they don't have stack interaction, having to actually deal with Fable is such a pain for them. Uh, I even had someone today, Leyline Binding the Fable and leave the token, the, the Shaman token in play, which <laughs> was... I mean, sure. I'm sure, they had their reason for it, but it's like, yeah, because if you just go after the the token, that's you only got the token, but the fable's still there. So, it's it's pretty phenomenal. The fact that when it flips on chapter three, I actually think chapter three is by far the least powerful part of it. But the fact that you can then start like kiki archons, there's every now and then your opponent's forced to interact with it, and more importantly, it's another body for you to creativity or transmogrify.
0: I, I will add that I had one win in one of my leagues. Uh, it was a, I mean it was a game win that I think got me the match win. But where my creativities and my archons were were non viable, I think my opponent was able to answer them. But I managed to get two live reflections of kiki jiki on the
2: board (laughs) and just like
0: having that plus a bunch of mana and just making a ton of reflection reflections on my opponent's end step it it actually kind of does like a a reasonable kiki-jiki impression because then you have all these hasty twos and you know the more mana you have the more hasty twos you have on your opponent's turn that like that to me was a more realistic plan B almost than hard casting an Archon or like trying to beat down with a bunch of one ones and, and running six pings or something else.
2: I have had a similar experience with, a, uh, with just the Shaman token and a reflection of Kikijiki. Although what you are mentioning in particular is if you have two, what, what, are, they, what are they called? Reflection of the Mirror Breakers? Um, Reflections of Kikijiki Reflection of kiki-jiki. So once you have that, you can, at an end step, use one to copy the other... Then you get a new hasty version, which can then copy another, which can then copy another. So at a cost of one mana each, you get a bunch of hasty 2-2s. Uh, so if you had five mana, you're attacking for 10, which, or 14, because you already had the two uh, extant copies. So yeah, that's a, that's a very neat interaction I haven't gotten the chance to use yet. But just for anyone looking for tips and tricks for this deck, that is definitely a way you can win a game.
0: And, and for anyone looking to expand their vocabulary, great use of extant.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, d- I don't know when that made its way into my vocabulary, but uh, I'm happy about it. Um, it sounds like a and, ship
1: term of some kind.
2: Uh, I, no, I definitely was using it before. By the way, we're currently turning away from the port of New Orleans, and we're about to start floating down the mighty Mississippi. So out the window there, you can see this uh, this building-sized ship is rotating. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: I, I like that bar piano that wraps around.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, It's decorative, but it's nice. Um so Prismari command was a card that when I left I remember this card was a little bit under fire uh there was a lot of people who did not like this card very much in different versions of creativity um for a few different reasons I think it's turned around a bit in uh perception I'm I'm glad that it has it's useful in a lot of different matchups the most common uh or let's let's just go through it really quickly because it's one blue red instant choose two you can deal 2 damage to any target you can have target player draw two, then discard two. You can have target player create a treasure token, or you can destroy target artifact. Dave has a note here that he thinks it's one of the worst cards in the deck and always, almost always sides it out in games two and three. And I definitely think that's a totally reasonable take. There's a lot of matchups where it's not great, but the thing is, it's never bad. And just just having that card flow, being able to create uh, treasure tokens is a huge huge deal in any kind of controlling matchup just having one or two extra mana to leverage against an opponent i know you 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 folks have been murktide players from time to time ragavan running unchecked from turn one just giving you one extra mana per turn it's just totally backbreaking sometimes
1: i i totally agree with that it's it's never awful right and but that's a, that's a reason that it's ripe for sideboard stuff too is that it's, it's good for game one and then you can figure out what holes you need to, to plug on games two and three and you know this card goes out a good amount and then there there's a couple other cards in the deck that go out a good amount as as well that we can talk about a little bit later
0: i'm more reluctant to keep it post board if i'm on the play like i think it's i think it's a good option to take out on the draw unless like against something like hammer where i need the artifact removal but um, it being three mana, I think it's kind of like the knock against it. And yeah, because it, you have other cards of three mana that are, that are valuable, including Fable, that I'm much more reluctant to side out. I think that's kind of what makes Prismari so easy to take out in certain games.
2: Yeah, I 100% agree. I, I, I found um, I've been boarding out a copy or two of Fable of the Mirror Breaker sometimes because I think because it's sorcery speed, and it's very kind of chunky and vulnerable. Sometimes I prefer to have a little bit more of the freedom uh, that is Prismari Command, even in matchups where it's not great. Uh, sometimes I think it being like a C-level card is fine because it's instant. Uh, because I want to dictate, I want to dictate the the times where we're interacting. Um, I can see that, and too. then we've got it totally makes sense. I don't know if I'm right or wrong yet. Uh, I think there are probably people who are much, much more experienced and much more up-to-date with this deck than I am. But I'm just saying I, this is where I feel like I'm at with it. And it hasn't felt like like I, I've been misstepping heavily. Uh, I've got a reasonable win rate with this deck considering how out of touch I am with Modern. I think I'm on an average of four ones ones with, uh, with most of the leagues.
1: Um, uh, you have a lot to teach us because, wow, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about our, our personal results in a little bit, but yeah.
2: Yeah, um, and then we've got a smattering of other control and protection spells. Teferi Time Raveler is one of the most, uh, we've mentioned it before, that this this card is largely not in these decks, but every week I see one or two copies floating around in some of the lists. So I think there's something to be said about Teferi. I think
0: Teferi does a couple of things, and, and why... You can understand a four to five color version of this deck is incentivized to play it. If you're worried about Merktide or or, or Blue White or other control decks, like Teferi is such a good protection spell for your combo turns, just because like there's a lot of games that come down to whether or not Indomitable Creativity Resolves will more or less determine whether or not you have a path to victory. So I think there's there's that, of course. But it also has the proactive support, right? If if you're worried about Living end rhino's calibrated blast. Teferi is just kind of like this this such a is such a good silver bullet in matchups where we're basically ships moving in the night.
2: I also liked Teferi a lot in some of the previous versions in that you could play Renin Six on two, ping something to kill it. Play on 3, bounce the next thing that they played, and all of a sudden you're setting up all these Planeswalkers, and they're like, well, I have to deal with those, and you're like, cool, creativity you. So it, it, it does uh, put a lot of pressure on opponents to deal with different threats of different types.
1: Yeah, and not to mention the fact that Cascade is still popular, <laughs> and having main main deck good cards that hate on Cascade is not a bad thing still, Yeah. so...
2: Though I would say the cards that um, actually make me more confident uh, against Cascade decks in the game ones is Spell Pierce and Fire Ice. Um, the thing about Teferi is it's a three mana spell, which is oftentimes too slow. Also, they're well set up to, like, oh, you're tapping out a three mana? Cool, force a negation. Um, And then they do their thing and and you might be in a little bit of trouble. Whereas Spell Pierce and Fire Ice let you kind of fight on the same axis that they're trying to play. Uh, And then Archon is occasionally uh, a decent foil to either they resolve Rhinos first, so you resolve an Archon against them. Um, So that can usually beat a single uh, Crashing Footfalls. Um, And then sometimes there's games where you can make Living End feel awkward because you've managed to discard an Archon. And now they uh, have to worry about their Living End putting an Archon into play on your side of the battlefield.
0: Yeah, I I think for, just to put a bow on Teferi, this is another card that can actually be really easy to side out if you don't think your
2: opponents
0: are ever going to cast a counterspell or if they're not going to cascade into anything. He is... Like, doesn't really do a lot to support your plan. He's really just there to kind of protect your plan.
2: Well, I will say some of the most spectacular uh, games I had back in the day when I was playing four copies of Teferi, um, being able to plus Teferi in this deck and hold up an instant speed and domino creativity is bonkers. Um, That's that's the moment where being able to target your opponent's stuff in addition to your own becomes completely insane. Um, Because you know, they'll go to combat and you neutralize their biggest threat by destroying it and flipping it into another random creature. And then you also deploy a large creature of your own to block whatever else is still coming at you. So there's definitely like uh, some real raw power to that in this deck. Um, So I'm just thinking that uh, Teferi in the general meta is probably a mediocre position uh, would be my guess. And then last but not least and newest is, of course, Leyline Binding. Um, this deck was already basically a four or five color domain deck in lots of its versions. So Leyline Binding fits in perfectly, basically replaces Prismatic Ending, um, but is, for the most part, a better card. Um, it's not perfect, um, but it's it's mostly better. And uh, I, again, the jury's out on whether or not this deck needs to play it, but it, but it seems like a, a very popular choice, and I currently doing my research on it.
1: Yeah. It's been really good for me just as like a reset button or like a get out of jail free card for for sure, the the decks that I played. One thing that's interesting to note about fetching with this deck is that you cannot do what four color, five color can do really, which is basically Indotha Triome into Steam Vents, you know, so that you have all five on turn two. There's not really a way to get, to make that happen. So just keep that in mind when you're planning out your hands. The, sure there is what do you do you double triumph
0: yeah you'd go Rogren on turn one you and then the second triumph on turn two you it's just kind the, of um
2: Ziatora's proving ground right? yeah that's the one yeah. the yeah. jund one yeah, yeah. so, yeah. You, so you, you you can do it it can be done uh it, right. it does involve fetching double tap
1: but right. uh right. but, your, but your but your
2: yeah. ley line binding will cost one at that point so right. so if you go and, Rogren
1: one and then you go the proving ground second, you'll yep. have an untapped Ragra and you'll have it up and, and ready to go. But yeah, yep. like you said, it does it does mean you go double tapped, which is can be a little awkward. Right. And and I would only do that if I'm not playing Ren and yeah.
2: Six. It's definitely it's it's definitely
1: something you can do. Yeah. That is a, the problem too that I noticed. Yeah, the Renin Six one. We,
2: we've seen the mana bases making different um, concessions. So um, some people are, are playing uh Ketria Triome, Zeatorra's Proving Ground, and a Raugren Triome. So that's three different Triomes. Um, the specific combination of Raugren and Zeatorra's Proving Ground for exactly what you guys were mentioning. And then you can go like Ketria Triome into a shock uh, of any kind to play turn two, random six. Um, so, uh that's that's your option there as well, or even a mountain if it's uh, if it's a, a matchup where you're concerned about your life total.
0: As long as we're on this control and protection spell section, I want to take a minute to talk about Fire Ice, which we've mentioned in passing. And this was a card that, in this particular deck, was actually kind of hard for me to wrap my head around because I'm so used to playing it in rhinos, where you know you're trying to set up the sequence of like turn two ice, turn three cascade. You can't really do that here on that same curve and it's a little harder i think to or can be harder to time an effective ice in a way to like actually get the value you need to protect your indomitable creativity turns but we were talking about on the discord today and again scott palera more or less kind of convinced me of its potential and why it really belongs in a deck like this
2: I mean, it's just so flexible. That's
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's really the flexibility that he kind of spoke to its potential, right? Where, you know, um, in some cases, if you're on the play, it can add to your very easy win draws where it provides reasonable interaction early against certain creatures. It can help tap down opponents to force through an Indomitable Creativity if they only have one mana up on their end step. Um, And you can also... Pair it with a spell pierce to all but guarantee that your creativity resolves. Compared to something like remand, it's a lot less flexible too. Because while remand can draw you toward your combo, while while giving you a time walk, at least fire gives you a little bit of extra reach. It also can pick off an opposing ragavan. You know, it can even like answer two toughness creatures. Of I course. played against
2: um, Jim Davis today and uh i i crushed his uh <laughs> battle of wits goblins deck but he had a really great draw with a rune horde master in game one and if it weren't for fire ice i would have lost um, but fire taking out a horde master and another goblin uh it's just crazy that i used to the number of times i've double killed like two drcs or a drc and a ragavan like fire ice is insane
1: it took a minute, but it's become one of the it's certainly become one of those played cards in modern. if you think about it, it's in four color, it's in this deck, it's in rhinos like not stuff I thought would happen once it got printed in a modern horizons 2, but but here we are somehow that like kind of middle casting cost card is just useful enough. all right, so that's kind of like going through the cards in the deck, what they're for, kind of how we've ended up with the choices that we're at right now. I would love, I think to just talk a little bit now about. Maybe maybe we could go to talking about how how do we how do we start thinking about how to play this deck the right the right way? Like maybe do you have any thoughts about? I, I'm asking for a friend here, Zach. Uh, how to improve and and not lose with this deck as much as maybe some people lose with this deck.
2: So uh, I think with it being a kind of combo control deck, um, and the pace of modern at the moment, um, you want to keep opening hands that have a specific. Uh, plan in mind. Um, so you, you want to be able to angle yourself towards uh, a creativity or uh, at the very least like a protected run and six. Once you figure out what matchup you're in, obviously your evaluation of, of your individual cards is going to change. But for game ones, you want to uh, try to find a hand that actually points you towards a creativity. And I think if you have enough lands and a copy of Fable of the Mirror Breaker or Prismari Command, that can be good enough. You know, if it's three lands, one of those cards, and then like Bolt, Spell, Pierce, Fire Ice, that's probably fine. If you have a Renin and Six, that's even better. But don't feel afraid to mulligan. Uh, if, you're fr- if your seven doesn't have a Renin Six, go down to six. If your six doesn't have a Renin Six, you can go down to five. And you can even go down to four sometimes and keep Renin and Six on one other spell. But having a, a definite path forward is pretty important.
0: So it really sounds to me like creativity is your end game, but but it's Ren and Six that's kind of like the backbone of your plan, and a lot of plans can sort of fall apart if your opponent is able to just answer that or delay it.
2: Uh, Yeah, Uh, if you can break up your opponent's game plan a little bit, uh, that works really well. That's where a card like Fire and Ice and cards like Spell Pierce and cards like Lightning Bolts are great. Is just, just a little bit of disruption to your opponent's early game. It's amazing how much uh, a single spell pierce buys you time against any of the cascade variants.
0: But on the other side, it's just like if you're up against creativity and you can answer Renin 6 either like as soon as it hits the board or on the stack, like that sounds like it could be a huge problem for the creativity player.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, especially if you see a mulligan to five, uh, if they play Ren and Six, you you hit that thing. Or if you're a Thoughtseize deck, that that is often a way to uh, make their game plan fall apart.
0: So we do see, like, from time to time, the Grixis versions cut Ren and Six for more hand disruption or other forms of interaction or tainted indulgence for maybe some added consistency. Let's just say we one day see Ren and Six get banned. Like, this deck gets a lot worse if it can only survive as... As, like, a more mid-range version that doesn't have, like, the engine that makes sure you hit every land drop, which is basically critical for you to, to have any plan at all.
2: Yeah, I would say it's not a coincidence that the Grixis version overall is less popular and uh, we're not seeing it make as many appearances in um, top finishes. So it, it does not surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would be shocked uh to see this deck continue to be as good as it is without renin 6 but then the rest of the format changes too so who knows how that shakes out
0: yeah but but like is your suggestion mulligan to a renin 6 uh
2: not not if you have a hand that's like very clearly functional so uh as I, i tried to illuminate like uh if you have like three cheap pieces of interaction three lands and either a fable or a prismari command that's probably good enough because both those cards uh, select you towards having a creativity or a transmogrify, and especially in a game one, like this is this is game one kind of thoughts. Um, this is when you don't know what you're up against. So, three pieces of cheap interaction and the chance to get a turn four or five creativity is often going to be good enough. If that's a seven, if it's a six, okay, it's not as appealing, but maybe that's good enough if if you're on a five and it looks kind of mediocre then Mm -hmm. uh go ahead and and just go down until you find a renin six or whatever love that plan yeah right i mean if you have to and i've I've won a good number Mm -hmm. of uh four card hands with renin six so
0: we've talked about this deck in passing in the past dave has tried it a couple times and and we we constantly make fun of him about how much dave struggles (laughs) with it
1: I did win some matches
0: though, this time though. I just want to be clear and, and I did. Yeah, and and that's really my question is just like, you know, we you keep revisiting this deck um because we make you. How do you feel like you've progressed with it and and what new questions or challenges are coming up for you David as you like get a little bit more familiar with it even if you're not necessarily like getting better with it just yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me one thing is like sequencing land drops. Is is tough in this deck? I mean, that's one of the things that I brought up when I mentioned about the ley line binding problem, where you can't, you know, you can't cast red and six and have a one one mana ley line binding ready to go on turn two. It's tough to do to get leyline binding online and get to ferry going. It's it's also sometimes really tough to fetch properly and get red and six on two and to ferry on three. You know what I mean? Because it's tough to get a white and a and a blue mana sometimes. So there there is like some options that are limited with that. I think that that has cost me definitely while I'm playing. Do you have any thoughts on sequencing land drops, Zach, that could help, uh, you know, just in the generic sense?
2: It really depends on what deck you're against. Uh, Just today when I was playtesting in in prep for this episode, uh, I got smashed by uh, Amulet Titan in two games in a row, um, where basically it was uh, weighing different, Choices that I had and it was like well how much do I want to like slow down my path to a creativity in order to hedge for like oh but if they have the double amulet I'm just gonna die Uh, and the decisions I made in both games had me just like kind of die on the spot on either turn two or I think it was turn four and in another case. Um, but I think that's also just something that happens in modern. Basically, no matter what deck you play, uh, occasionally you're going to run into some hyperlinear decks where y- you get taken apart because you made a certain land uh, sequencing decision. I-, I would say modern at the moment is just as complex as it always has been, and you just you just gotta keep putting in the reps, and you'll you'll find little heuristics or uh, little examples, little uh, outlying outlying moments where you go, oh, I'm going to do this this way because I've seen this situation before. I've died here before. And uh, you make your way out. If you go back and watch um, some of my challenge runs with creativity, uh, there were there are a number of times where you just, you know, you, you try to take your percentage play and uh, hope it works out. And uh, it, that's going to happen no matter what deck you're playing. So I don't have any specific... Yeah, I don't have any specific thoughts other than um, do your homework, uh, as we were talking about earlier. For example, if you want to play a turn two leyline and you want to play it for one mana, and you want to have your perfect color setup, then if you have Raugren Triome and Zea Proving Ground, that is the only way to do that. Um, know that before you go into those games, because that's something you can know. Knowing all the lands you're going to have access to, that is something you want to know before uh you're playing games like uh, have an idea of like okay i'm playing two steam vents one uh one stomping ground and one blood crypt that's a lot of the times the the setup of shock lands i've seen and one sacred foundry so if i want to be able to fetch untapped white mana i want to leave the sacred foundry in my deck and get the raugren trium early there's just little moments like that little level up moments So creativity, I think, is uh, pretty well positioned. We see it uh, having showings that are, let's say, similar to a Tier 1 deck right now, like the consistency with which it's showing up in top 8s, top 16s, top 32s, winning events, all of that. Um, And it's specifically these Archon versions, specifically because you have access to a lot of very powerful sideboard cards, both cheap interaction and different hate pieces. So... In terms of my current recent experience with the deck, I would say um, there's a few very difficult coin flippy matchups, like say Rakdos Skelemental. I, I, I want to call it Rakdos Midrange because I really hate calling it Scam. I personally hate calling it Scam.
1: Please call it Midrange.
2: Yeah, Rakdos mid-range is fine. Uh, Rakdos Elementals, I, I kind of like that even more because it's uh, it, it speaks to one of the very explosive angles that that deck is trying to exploit. A- everything else in the format, uh, some of the hyper-linear combo decks, I mentioned that I lost to Titan earlier. Um, that can be a very difficult matchup. Uh, or sometimes it's really easy, but Seiju has been a huge pickup for this deck um, in that some of the big mana decks used to be a little bit problematic, like Tron... Uh, or or Titan, and uh, if you get a Boseju Renin Six loop going, sometimes it's child's play. But sometimes it's not, so I, I, I know there are some spreadsheets floating around and some data that's been collected on the specific matchups, but I feel very confident going into almost any matchup with this deck because you have stack-based interaction, you have Leyline Binding which can deal with almost any type of permanent, and Archon of Cruelty can race almost anything. How about burn these days? I mean, I always lose to burn. So that's a me problem. Um, I I will say you are a five color deck with a lot of shocks and a lot of fetches and you are leaning into that. Um, I know some people are playing turn the earth in their sideboard right now. I have used that uh, and I did get matched up against burn and I did pull in all the copies and it felt quite good. So uh, I think that's one of the main points of that card. Um, it's also useful against Rakdos Scam or Reanimator decks. You can um, take away the target of, of their uh, Persist or their Undying Malice. Uh, I know there was some questions floating around about who was sideboarding that card and why. I, I think it's that split of being useful against Burn and useful against Graveyard cards. Yeah, there are versions right now that are running a, a one to three copies, I think I've seen, of Unholy Heat. Um, you do have all the necessary card types to, uh, to get Delirium. You have some enchantments, you have instance sorceries uh, and lands uh, and planeswalkers. So uh, sometimes it's just an extra way to kill Ragaman, like a fifth lightning bolt. Uh, sometimes it turns into the upgraded version. So that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure if this has a bad matchup against Burn. I would say, again, it probably is close to 50 50, and it gets better, uh, I would think, with copies of Persist.
0: I, I feel like so I, I got paired against burn and I I won one match and I lost the other match and it's kind of awkward because you know we were just talking about how important Ren and six is and I feel like burn loves to see a turn two Ren and six that's kind of just like humming and that was a matchup perhaps incorrectly I sided out all of my Ren and sixes because I feel like I can't win a game if I'm fetching every turn.
2: I think that's actually a really good way to to approach the matchup. I don't know if the best players of this deck would say it's correct or not. I endorse that. Again, I I don't know if it's correct. I don't know if that's the best way to do it. But I think that that is something that I would feel incentivized to do myself. I'm not going to tell you it's wrong. Uh, I don't have my own specific thoughts and specific sideboard plans together uh for this deck so it depends on what you're bringing in of course um i would definitely want to bring in any and all copies of nature's claim um for killing uh eidolons and for uh, occasionally targeting your own stuff just to gain four so if you have any of those floating around in your sideboard that's that's a card that i that is like a sneaky bring in against burn
0: all right before we wrap up i have one kind of an esoteric question i'd love to ask you both about this deck that sort of positions it in modern in general okay what is the deal with a lot of modern decks right now denying an entire access of the game? In this case, it's just like, we're not running any creatures unless we can cheat it in. Um, and we see that with, like, Cascade decks not running anything less than three mana. How, how, how is Why is that a trend? Like, is that just because, like, the finishers are so good that it's worth it? Or is this just, like, a weird moment that we're in that the, the trend could die out eventually,
1: too? I just think it's powerful cards have restrictions on them and to make them their most powerful forms you have to think about what the restrictions are and so you end up doing things like this to make decks work i mean luris had a restriction when it was one of the best cards you know indomitable creativity dictates you do certain things to make it work cascade does as well in order to make it great and so i think i just think that there is a trend of maybe in design of having these cards that have really strong payoffs if you can cleverly crack the right way to make a deck that's functional that pays attention to restrictions. So I don't think it's a trend on the deck construction side so much as it is people figuring out how to take cards that are powerful and use them properly.
2: I'm going to give a very glib answer uh in that it's because magic is the best designed game of all time. Exactly oh, as Dave was saying, we we when when there are powerful interesting cards, uh they have interesting hoops to jump through and that's what makes this game so awesome. Um there's not too many things that are like omnath where it's just like <laughs> this is really really powerful right? and i guess the hoop is paying four different colors of mana, but like otherwise it's like uh have fetch lands in your deck, i guess but it's just kind of bonkers.
1: Yeah, fortunately, right? There are a lot more than that. That's what leads to bannings that are more clear. I think, you know, but even like Hammer Time is even a deck that has like really powerful payoff, but you have to do the cheaty part. And that's just, I think that's just kind of what the game is. You get a large card pool like in Modern, and it's possible to make those plans work really well because of card redundancy over, you know, 20 years of cards or whatever Modern is in total. All right, Zach, Again, hope that uh, hopefully you have a, a great final couple of cruises here as you we kind of turn away from cruising season, get you back on land for a little bit, and like you said, you'll be in Vegas. You know, we're, we're going to be in Atlanta for DreamHack. I don't know if there's any chance that are may, that maybe we could see you down there, but hopefully someday soon we get to meet you in person, Zach, and hang out, and uh, you know maybe we we'll get to see you play the drums sometime. That would be cool.
2: Oh, that'd be great. I do have a couple of clips up on my Twitter of me playing drums uh, as well as uh, I think a lot of them made it to my Facebook for anyone who knows me on facebook but uh definitely there's a few clips clips on me uh, of me on Twitter playing drums, and uh that'd be really fun. I am gonna go back to streaming during the during my vacation, so I'll have two and a half three months of time where I can go back to streaming at uh, twitch.com slash mana symbol.
0: All right, Zach. Thanks again. It was so nice to catch up with you. See you again. Glad to hear you're thriving in the open waters, uh, in in international waters, echoing everything that Dave said. Looking forward to seeing you come back to magic. Hopefully we can reconnect soon. And of course, always excited when you appear on all the other podcasts because you have good insights. Even when you take a break break from magic, I, I always care to hear what what's on Zach's mind. But that does wrap up this week's show. So if you haven't yet, listener, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast or reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com/slash the dive down. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for a Mana Traders account using promo code THEDIVEDOWN15, all one word, to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more over at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN15 for 15% off your first order. And last but not least, save money on paper cards over at NerdRageGaming with code DIVE8 to get 8% off your order from them. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and follow Mana Symbol!
2: Very nicely referred to here as the backup plans of Transmogrify and Persist. Uh, hold on we've got a message from the captain (laughs) uh we're going down uh (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting because we're we're currently in the mighty mississippi river which is i don't think deep enough to actually swallow this ship it's uh (laughs) it's like 12 stories tall we are
0: converting into
2: a steamboat steamboat. (laughs) casino It's funny, as we go down the river, there are like uh, some old-timey paddle boats that will pass.
1: Our power's being drawn down by someone doing a podcast, it looks like.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Abandoned ship, someone's doing a podcast on here. <laughs>